0: Most Americans can't name their own congressman, let alone whoever the Speaker of the House is. Although Nancy Pelosi did make an impression, didn't she? All right, so it's going to take a couple of days maybe to figure out who the next Speaker is. And maybe it will be Kevin McCarthy. Let's face it, the guy is not Mr. MAGA. But Trump did endorse him, and I can live with him. I could also certainly live with Jim Jordan or Steve Scalise. Uh, They're in contention. Look, they got to figure this stuff out and they will. In the meantime, the fake news, ignore them. Um, But they really are trying to hammer it home that somehow this is the death knell of, well, all things Republican. They're wrong. Think about the fact that Republicans will be looking at other Republicans saying, you embarrassed us in front of the country. This is not a good look for Republicans, and it is a good look for Democrats. This could go on for days. Again, not a good look for Republicans and not a good start for them. Politically, for Republicans to just continue to look like they can't do anything right. This is inside baseball, inside the beltway, the stuff. When have any of these people ever given Republicans or Trump or anybody any credit? Cut them any slack whatsoever. It's a silly Washington game. It has not happened since 1923. We don't care. If anybody comes up to you tomorrow and says, hey, do you hear Kevin may not, it's not going to happen. At least in my world, even in my world, it's not happening. Happy New Year, everybody. It's great to be back. I went on a rare vacation. My wife and I went to the mountains in Colorado and went skiing. I think that might be the last time I'm doing that. Uh, It was great to spend time together. But the skiing and the schlepping and the airport, the airport, Denver International Airport. All right. A couple of things here. Now, I know the Biden administration did not invent long lines at the airport, but some really strange things are going on at that airport and in America writ large. Number one, uh, going up the escalator from the train to the main terminal. I saw this. Yeah, Garth Brooks, the country guy, right? And there's a message from him. When there's only one race and that's mankind, we shall be free. When there's only one race and that's man, and that's all it is. Now, it's a lyric from some song, which some people say is pretty good, but taken alone, that's a pretty bizarre message. Uh, there's only one, and that's, man. what's the problem? I mean, one interpretation, it could be like genocidal. I know that's not what he's getting at, right? But the takeaway is, what's the problem? The black race, the Asian race, the white race. Now, Garth Brooks is worth $400 million, all right? Garth, what are you letting them mess with your Beautiful lyrics for right. Let them they got to be in the song, in the context of the song, take it out of context. It's weird. And it's furthering an agenda that I don't think you quite understand. And that was just one element of my experience that was bizarro. The whole American experience is going crazy. I don't even know what country this is or what century this is at the Denver airport, at least getting food there. So they had about a dozen restaurants, two sit-down restaurants. You could only get uh, drinks, by the way, at 9 o'clock at night. No food, just drinks. There was a McDonald's open. The line went for an hour and a half, no kidding, and a Pizza Hut. Great, right? Guess what? The Pizza Hut had no pizza. They were serving mashed potatoes, and that's it. I asked a woman next to me, is this America? She said, I have no idea, literally. This is this is not right. In America, you should be able to get fat whatever time of day it is, wherever you are. Something is amiss. Wouldn't you agree? The airport, by the way, who's in charge of this monstrosity? A guy that Joe Biden wants to make the head of the FAA. No kidding. Phil Washington, who has scanned transportation experience, really shows at the airport, is the Biden administration pick to run the Federal Aviation Administration. Good luck. Another few observations. Happy New Year again. But from my vacation, I don't take these very often. Went to a beautiful resort. Great service. Everything was amazing. And the people, so nice. Look at this. All of them, all of them were from South America. Now, I admire them. They came here legally. How do I know they're from South America? They had it on their tag. Hi, I'm uh, Jose from Ecuador. They all, it said on there, and I thought it was Great. They had ambition, professionalism. They want to get ahead in life. And again, they came here legally. But I was like, where are all the Americans? Why are they not working? The young ones, right? College, get ahead. hmm? What could have de-incentivized them from work?
1: Using the authority Congress granted the Department of Education, we will forgive $10,000 in outstanding federal student loans.
0: Yes, these are the policies that will make America weak again, disincentivizing people from work, smoke dope all you want, no consequences whatsoever, especially in Colorado, and believe the fake news, whatever they say, especially about January 6th. Did you hear? (laughs) They put out their final report uh, just before the Republicans take over around Christmas. The January 6th report is out. It's a thousand pages long. I actually read 80 percent of it while I was on vacation. I probably could not should not have done that. But there are some gems in here, some real gems. I'm glad I did it because the truth, even though they've been trying to obscure it, it's in there. It's in there if you look closely enough. A big question. Remember, what was Trump doing for the 187 minutes? And they determined he was watching television. He was watching it all happen. He was laughing at it. He was salivating at all the carnage at the Capitol. Remember?
1: The committee has firsthand testimony now that he was sitting in the dining room next to the Oval Office watching the attack on television. Other witnesses confirmed that President Trump was in the dining room with the TV on. For more than two and a half hours. The committee
0: recreated the 187 minutes of the attack
2: blow by blow, saying Mr. Trump watched it unfold on TV and never called a single law enforcement agency.
0: How could he not have called anybody he was watching it on TV? What was he laughing, enjoying it all? The ransacking of our capital? Why wasn't he defending democracy? It's all fake news. So. Let's say he was watching TV, which, oh, by the way, they never actually proved. But if he was watching TV, what did he see? In this report, at 2.38 p.m. on January 6th, this is the important moment. This is the aha moment. President Trump had the TV on in the dining room at 2.38 p.m. Fox News was showing video of the chaos and attack, with tear gas filling the air in the Capitol Rotunda, and a newscaster reported, this is a very dangerous situation. Wow, the president did nothing after that. I'm not buying this report. I don't buy the report. You shouldn't buy the report. Let's look at Fox News at 2.38 p.m. on January 6, 2021. What was so dangerous? Take a look.
1: Well, first of all, uh, we went from a peaceful protest, and this is a very dangerous situation right now,
0: um, that there are... I'm being told these protesters on the inside are around both chambers and there is now tear gas inside the
1: Capitol Rotunda. In fact, members locked in the House are being instructed to put on masks.
0: Wow. Brett Baer said it's a dangerous situation. Go to DEFCON 5. What if President Trump had the sound off, by the way, that this is mild. You don't see tear gas in the rotunda. You see people outside at this point. Let me see it with the sound down, please. All right. If President Trump was talking on the phone and this was on TV, is this an emergency situation? Is this something that uh, I don't know? What do you do? Do you send in battalions of National Guard right after they told him he couldn't during Black Lives Matter summer? This was the case all afternoon. All anchors, Fox News, CNN, everybody, they were hyping things way out of proportion. Based on what they were seeing, they should not have been saying what they were saying. CNN, fake Jake. This is the United States of America,
1: and we're watching protesters try to undermine the course of an election, a constitutional process, through force. By storming I mean, the United look, States look Capitol? At, look
0: at that. That is outside. I'm J- sorry to interrupt, but look at those pictures. Have you ever seen anything like that? I mean, these, these are protesters outside on the steps of the Capitol. They're physically in there. Well,
1: it's a fitting end to an era that has been characterized by lawlessness.
0: I've been to a football game. I've seen crowds before. <laughs> Let's watch that again with the sound uh, down, please. Does this sound like something that I don't know. What does it look like to you? Is this the emergency? Even CNN had to admit uh, in later weeks that it didn't look bad on January 6th. It was only in later days that the images from the cowboy guy, the horns guy inside, all that stuff came out. One more example of this, Dana Bash uh, on CNN. This is basically
2: taking over, storming the Capitol, in, 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 in is, it's anarchy. It really is anarchy. And the president has encouraged this time
1: and time again, and they are stopping the constitutional peaceful transfer of power.
0: All right. I'm sorry to do this, but it's going to it's going to be a little bit boring. Turn the sound down watch it again. It does actually, like that congressman said, kind of look like a tourist situation. Now, this is the heart of the case against Trump. He was watching TV. He saw these images and he didn't do anything. But here's the real scandal. He was set up and the people, if there was really such danger there who should have been calling him, sat on their hands and did nothing. Like Mark Milley, mutinous Mark, I like to call him. He is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. What does that job entail, by the way? What is it officially? The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is the principal military advisor to the president. On January 6th, they got a, they got TVs over at the Pentagon. Did he call his boss to advise him?
1: Yeah. you hey, the commander-in-chief. You got an assault going on on the capital of the United States of America. And there's nothing. No
0: call. Nothing. Zero. Nothing. Zero. What is he waiting for the guy to make the first move? Does he want to date Donald Trump? Pick up the phone. Take the initiative. Don't they teach that at West Point or wherever you went to college? What is wrong? And this is what he heard three days before January 6th, by the way. General Milley, according to General Milley, on January 3rd, during a National Security Council meeting, I only remember in hindsight because he was almost like clairvoyant. Deputy Secretary of Defense David Norquist says the greatest threat is a direct assault on the Capitol. I'll never forget it. Well, thanks a lot. You're putting it in your memoir. You're telling the committee, but you didn't do anything with it when you should have. Mike Pence, one phony baloney guy, by the way, posing for those historical pictures in the basement of the Capitol. Uh, Did he call the president? I I hear he was so loyal. All four, right. So loyal. Did he call the president? No. Over the course of several hours, you spoke with the acting defense secretary. You spoke with the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley. I did. You spoke with the
2: acting attorney general, Jeff Rosen, with the chief of Capitol Police. Where was the president in all this?
1: David, I was at the Capitol.
2: I wasn't at the White House. And when you learned later that he was watching all this unfold on TV? I can't can't account for what the president was doing that day. I was at a loading dock in the Capitol where riot was taking place.
0: But why wasn't he making these calls? Um,
1: That'd be a good question for him.
0: Now, I got more questions for you, mutinous Mike. Why didn't you call the President of the United States? You have his number? You could get him on the phone if the situation was really that serious? What is going on? Mike, Mark, none of these guys, nobody called the President of the United States. That whole national security, that whole swamp apparatus, nobody engaged him. It was a setup. Oh, yeah, baby, this was a setup. You know who did call him? And good for him, Brian Kilmeade. (laughs) Good for him. Uh, He's the only guy. I mean, I might, if I'm the president, I might, if I'm me, let Brian's call go to voicemail, all right? If Brian's calling, but the director of national intelligence and the national security advisor isn't calling, it's okay for President Trump to think that It wasn't such a big deal. And actually, it wasn't. More when I come back. All right, you may be tired of January 6th. I am exhausted by it, but we can't let them get away with all the lies that we are learning about in vivid form in this monstrosity of a report. I knew all along it was a scam. I pointed it out when I could. But this is too delicious. This is uh, Jocelyn Benson, the Secretary of State of Michigan, a Democrat, someone perfectly positioned, I'm not saying she did necessarily, not yet, to um, help Biden in any way she could on election night in 2020, election night and way before the election and even after the election. Uh, Jocelyn came under some pressure uh, after the election, and this happens to public officials, but... Listen to how it traumatized her and actually continues to traumatize her.
1: Right now, we are facing an unprecedented wave of continuous, unrelenting harassment and threats. Enduring these threats creates a near constant strain of anxiety and stress on our work. I've experienced these threats firsthand. One night, <laughs> one night in December 2020, I was about to put my son to bed when dozens of individuals descended upon our home. To this day, these images and this memory of that evening still haunts me. This was not the first, nor was it the last time. As a result, there is an omnipresent feeling of anxiety and dread that permeates our daily lives and those of our families.
0: Wow, that's, that's absolutely terrible. And it continues, yes, right now to this day. She told the January 6th committee that she has to look over her shoulder. It creates an air of apprehension everywhere you go and over everything you do. You're always looking behind your back and over your shoulder. No, you're not, Jocelyn Benson. I went to your Instagram. I see you out and about almost every day for the past two years in front of large crowds of people. With them, behind them, over you are having a blast. You know you're exaggerating. If you were really concerned for your safety, would you drive around <laughs> in a van that says, here I am, the Michigan Secretary of State? I don't think so. This exaggeration, they're doing it for a reason, by the way, and it's very common in politics. I wanted to show you another guy we bust, a Philadelphia elections commissioner. I don't know why they need these guys. His name is Omar Sabir. Now, go back to November of 2020. There were some strange things that happened in Philadelphia. Uh, number one, they tell us Joe Biden got more votes than Hillary Clinton in 2016 and Barack Obama in 2012. I find that hard to believe. Anyway, Omar Sabir is one of the guys in charge of the election. And in 2021, he received a visit from a very grateful Joe Biden. I mean, look at these guys. It's, all right. So that's Omar Sabir. Um, And here he is talking about, well, the trauma of hearing nasty things from the public.
2: I feel anxiety every time I walk outside of the house. It has changed my life. Uh, Legitimately has changed my life. It has changed my behavior and patterns.
0: Wow. Wow. Another guy who can't leave the house and feel normal. Except, according to his Instagram, two weeks before this interview, he leaves his house feeling just fine.
1: That's right. We out here,
0: about to do uh, three miles. Then going to do some push-ups, calisthenics, squats, all that good stuff, that fun stuff. Uh, So, turning 42, I feel good about being uh, 42. Uh, I haven't had a celebration uh, since uh, 39. All right, happy birthday, pal! You are you lied to the committee. You're lying to people. You guys are lying. Here he is at the swimming pool. This is a guy who hello, says he's hello, under hello. constant agitation and anxiety everybody. and can't feel healthy normal.
1: Everywhere I'm going across the city, everybody's asking, hey, you're a great commissioner. But what about the three B's? What about a healthy brain? All what right. About
0: a healthy Did brain? he really change his brain? lifestyle after 2020? all the heat from the people who were concerned about the election. They say we're threats to democracy. They're the threats to democracy. They are lying, and they're trying to stop legitimate questions about the election. And then this, this thing about, oh, MAGA's coming after me. MAGA, MAGA, MAGA.
1: And I have life, the threats upon my life, harassments of my family. I myself have reported hundreds of threats on my life, often triggered by Republican attacks on my faith.
2: So we're all getting these uh, kind of threats uh, on the phone. Uh, we report them to the Capitol Police when we feel they're sufficiently specific.
1: That's why right. I post these messages, because if you think you're going to intimidate me, you're not. And if you think you're going to intimidate my colleagues and the FBI and the Department of Justice, you're not.
0: Okay, here's a little secret about the threats that are phoned into these guys. These guys, Swalwell, Schiff, they love them because it enhances their importance. You only threaten important people. Therefore, if you get threats, you're a person of status and you get security. And having security is fun. Just ask Kamala Harris. She loves loves abusing these guys. Remember when she showed up at the—that's her, by the way, jogging up and down the steps at the Lincoln Memorial. And you see the Secret Service guy on the right there shadowing her? This this is this is fun. This is fun for her. Who remembers Chuck Schumer when he was humble bragging about all of the people who protect him day in and day out? To my personal detail, Mike, Kevin, Joe, DeWan, and Chris, as well as Antonio, Larry, Sifonia, Christian, Brian, Darren, Kat, Fernando, Richardson and Alex. Thank you. Thank you what you do every day to keep me my family and my staff safe how many people are protecting chuck schumer uh tony jose bill there, there were like 85 people there were a lot of people Uh, around this one guy they love this stuff having guys around you with the little thing in their ear and the big cars and the suvs uh the secret this is this is living this is the ultimate power credential in washington dc they want it and all these people in the report wanted something and a lot of them got something even though the report they anticipated this criticism they said many of the witnesses before this committee had nothing at all to gain from their testimony. They all got something. They all got something. Even that annoying Gabriel Sherman. Remember this guy? He, uh, oh, was he again? He worked for Raffensburger. He is a state employee, not even an elected official. He is a Georgia state bureaucrat. And he came out against Trump. He said Trump was threatening him. He told Trump to shut up. It was the swamp loved it. And he's been rewarded. So a Georgia bureaucrat, Gabe, can now go to your corporate event and speak. His fee anywhere, I think, from ten to $20,000, huh? If you get him live, although he'll Zoom for five to $10,000. Is that insane or what? Hey, remember... This is the guy who threw a hissy fit when Trump, well, I think he won Georgia, too. But remember, it looks like you likely lost the state of Georgia. Who did this bureaucrat think he is? An unelected guy in Georgia telling the president that not his role. What was Raffensperger doing letting this guy again? He's available for ten thousand dollars. And he can say that at your corporate event. Hey, got to mention the FBI here. Did you hear something terrible happened uh, last week in New York City? Three police officers were stabbed by a suspected Muslim extremist. Yeah, uh, a 19-year-old guy uh, drove down. Here he is. His name is uh, Trevor Bickford from Maine, 19 years old. Uh, Police say the FBI now saying he came from Maine, traveled to New York on Amtrak. But get this, his mother approached the FBI uh, months ago and said, my son is being radicalized by uh, Islam and I'm afraid he's going to wage uh, war, possibly go to Afghanistan, possibly be a terrorist. What did the FBI do? They put him on a watch list. Okay, yep, he's on a watch list. And what does the FBI do with that watch list? They don't seem to watch it very much, do they? Because Trevor Bickford got on Amtrak, a federal asset, by the way, and came to New York City and stabbed three cops in what obviously is a terrorist attack. That's the allegation. And it looks pretty damn credible. The FBI, (laughs) they let this one slip away as well. But boy, do they bring out the big guns to get Roger Stone. Remember that? The SWAT team showing up at Roger Stone's house. How about uh, SWAT teams all over the country uh, going after January 6th suspects, misdemeanor offenses, and the FBI sweeps in. And they're still doing it, by the way. They're still doing it on the lookout for all these people and literally letting the terrorists go free. This is really, really bad, and it must be stopped. Actually, I said earlier, (laughs) I wasn't so concerned about the speakership. we got to get somebody in there real fast and get to work. I'll be right back. News breaks every minute, every day. You need the app, the Newsmax app. Find it free on your smartphone store. Then watch us anytime, anywhere. Well, in the House of Representatives today, they came together, and as you know, they couldn't figure out who the next speaker is going to be. It's going to be Kevin McCarthy. He is Donald Trump's uh, pick for that post. He endorsed him a couple of months ago. But there's a lot of resentment. There's a lot of people out there in the House maybe I shouldn't say a lot, a handful, but it's a pretty key handful who are rooting for people like Jim Jordan or Steve Scalise. Our next guest, Congressman Matt Rosendale, Republican of Montana, did not vote for Kevin McCarthy, uh, and he did that a couple of times today. Congressman Rosendale, welcome to Newsmax. How are you? Great. Happy New Year, Greg. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So, uh, Why didn't you vote for Kevin McCarthy? I think you voted
2: once for uh, Jim Jordan and once for, was it Andy Biggs? Andy Biggs as we started off and then uh, I had two rounds with Jim Jordan. And uh, I think we're making progress, quite frankly. You know, we uh, gave Kevin McCarthy an opportunity over the last two years to demonstrate leadership skills. Uh, We sent him with the uh, tools that he needed in order to get some common sense reforms when we went through the NDAA battle when we went through the so-called infrastructure legislation battle, when we went through the uh, continuing resolution and funding, each one of those times the Democrats did not have enough votes to pass that legislation. They required Republicans to help them. And so we presented Kevin with an opportunity to put some common sense reforms in each one of those pieces of legislation. And, and he failed. He, he took a knee, if you will, to use a sports metaphor. You know, it's like your quarterback taking a knee when you're, down there at the uh, five-yard line right there in the uh, red zone. Yeah. And then there's another segment of, of failures that we see, and that is as we look at the operations on the floor, grade, my my goal has been to restore A functioning Congress. Everybody knows that Congress is broke. 15, 20 years, we talk about how broken Congress is. And yet we continue to use the same rules and have the same people basically implementing those rules and hope that we're going to have a difference. Right now, the system is set up so that all the power is consolidated into the speaker's hands. And the nine people that the speaker selects, to serve on the Rules Committee. They, they they control all of the legislation that goes out to the floor. They control the amendments that are even allowed to be placed on that legislation and basically gives them super legislator status and, yeah. and everyone yeah. else has to take a back seat and, and just vote up or down. And, and so right. it does not give me the ability— to represent my constituents on the same level that these uh, people that are in the rules committee that that have super legislator status. Congressman,
0: let me ask you this, though. Um, Sure. There are only 20 or so of you, and I get it. Look, Kevin McCarthy is not Mr. MAGA. We know that. He's a career politician. Trump did endorse him back in June, as you know. Um, But how much of this is you want to extract promises and commitments from Kevin McCarthy You know, whether it's the vote of no confidence, whether it's these rules changes, are those negotiations happening right now? And do you think you can get him to concede to give you what you want? And is there a scenario where you would vote for him if he does agree uh, to what you and maybe Lauren uh, Lauren Boebert and others are seeking?
2: So I'll start off with two things. Number one, I think that everyone is going to see uh, the Trump endorsement is starting to cool off a bit. Uh, We heard word tonight that that is starting to evaporate as you and I speak here. The next thing I will tell you is that we tried to begin these negotiations with Kevin McCarthy last summer, Greg, last summer. We did not blindside him. We put these uh, common sense amendments to the rules to restore we're not asking for radical deviations to restore the process of the house the functions of the house that that were in place before nancy pelosi and covid and and all this power was consolidated but he didn't want to have discussions with us because quite frankly he thought he was going to have 250 or 260 members in the republican conference after november 8th and we see that 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 plan failed miserably, and then after November the eighth, we started having conversations. Finally, but but the fact of the matter is that he hasn't been he hasn't been forthright, and, and so if you don't trust the person that you're negotiating with, it makes it very very difficult to enter into a um, a good negotiation, a good faith negotiation. So I was I think I understand. Let me ask you this: we're, we're running see, out of time. I was, Congressman, we're going to keep moving on.
0: I get it. Um, You were on the floor, obviously. You were right there in the mix. You saw Kevin McCarthy as the day went on. Is he losing his confidence? Is he looking nervous? Does he, at times, I thought he seemed pretty blasé about the whole thing. You were there. What's what's that room like, and what's the
2: atmosphere like around him? I can tell you that the uh, people around him are starting to recognize that he is not going to get 218 votes and that we are going to have to start making some decisions about alternatives. That's why we brought... Um, Jim Jordan Ford. There's some other names that, that got floated out there today. I think we're going to go through tomorrow and build uh, the the number of people that are opposing uh, Mr. McCarthy a little bit larger. And then the people that are around him, his closest confidants, are going to come to him and, and break the news if he can't recognize it, that he's not going to be the speaker and it's time for us to consolidate and to collaborate and and to find someone who's going to lead uh, the Republican conference so we can get about doing the work that the the American people want Mm -hmm. us to do so badly. Congressman Matt Rosendale, Republican of Montana,
0: appreciate it very much, and uh, it's all very interesting. We'll keep watching. Thank you. Talk again. Be right back. Thank you so much. Tell you what, that January 6th committee... They put some information out that is uh, not helpful uh, to their side at all and very helpful to our side. Uh, The interview they conducted with Bernie Carrick is fascinating, and he runs circles around those phony investigators. Bernie Carrick, former commissioner of the New York City Police Department, joins us. Bernie, you are a, uh, a big star in the January 6th report. You're all over it. It's a 1,000 pages long. Uh, they tried to, you know, they're not a friend of yours. But first of all, your reaction to the report overall?
1: Uh, honestly, Greg, I think it's a farce. Um, you know, they were given an enormous amount of improprieties, voter and election fraud, um, things that should have and could have been investigated by state authorities and the FBI and the Department of Justice. They didn't make one recommendation, not one that I know of to the Department of Justice to go in and look at the dead people that voted. Let's go look at the illegals that voted. Let's go look at the people that voted in Arizona and Georgia at the same time. Let's go look at all the things that we found. Um, The bottom line, they did not. All they wanted to focus on was Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. And the reality is they had a, a, a superb opportunity To look at election fraud and voter fraud and the stolen election of 2020, they did not do it.
0: So um, it's interesting that uh, they actually use the phrase a lot. There was no widespread fraud. There was no widespread fraud. But as they say it, they acknowledge there was fraud. (laughs) But they're not ruling out that there, there was some fraud. Every election has fraud. And there were only... I think I've heard some estimates 40,000 votes shifting across the country could have changed the entire election.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. Could have changed the election in Arizona, could have changed the election in Georgia. Look, Greg, you talk about fraud, you talk about improprieties. You had 600,000 votes that went into the system between 1 a.m. and 5 o'clock in the morning in Pennsylvania. Nobody looked to see how that happened. Nobody wanted to know. That's a pretty major impropriety. Uh, The bottom line is that's not what they were looking for.
0: Now, you know, by the way, they try to say that asking these questions is a threat to democracy. When you think about it, the real threat to democracy is being somehow shamed or coerced or intimidated from asking these questions. or allowed to. This is still America. And can you tell me, by the way, when they say, well, there's no evidence or you guys were never able to establish it in court. Now, what is your role as an investigator? And can you tell us well, the, co- the concept of probable cause and what the burden was actually on you in finding evidence?
1: You know what, Greg? That was, uh, that was one of the arguments I got into with them, uh, conclusive evidence. We weren't able to get conclusive evidence because we didn't have the time. We didn't have subpoena power. We didn't have the amount of people we needed to do what had to be done. But that's what the Department of Justice, and that's what people like state authorities should have been doing. That's what they should have been doing. Bottom line is they weren't doing it. And, um, you know, I got into this battle with them. You know, at the end of the day, we did the best we could at the time, but we had overwhelming evidence that could have went to justice, could have went to the FBI, the state authorities, indicating fraud, abuse, um, improprieties that they never looked at. And, you know, Bill Barr, he said there was no fraud. How does he know? He never came to me. He never came to Giuliani and asked to see the evidence. If you didn't want to see the evidence, don't make a statement like there isn't fraud because you had the opportunity to look at it and you didn't.
0: And remember, in the summer before the election, he said, as a matter of logic, There would be fraud because they were trying something that had never been done before. And it was open and susceptible to fraud now. And he knew it. He knew it. And he said it. You stuck up for Ashley Babbitt, uh, uh, Ashley Babbitt in an amazing way during your interview with the January 6th committee. Now, some folks may remember when the Capitol Hill cops, four of them, very political, got up and started crying and, and really politicizing the process in a very, to me, grotesque way. I think you tweeted something very, very critical of that. Having commanded the NYPD on 9-11 and been stabbed and shot at and witnessed numerous colleagues shot and killed in the 80s, 90s in the line of duty, I am shocked at the cowardice. They should be fired, not fit for duty. Now, the investigators said, how dare you say something like this? What were you, what were you, you know, how, how could you and you said some remarkable things, and maybe you could summarize um, what you said about Ashley Babbitt what you said to those those people in the room
1: you know I, I listen I understand they were they were outraged so to speak but I said listen I've been in this business 35 years I've been involved in gun battles I've been shot at I've had partners shot and killed I've had partners shot I eulogized 23 members of my department in the aftermath of 9/11 um, I didn't go out on PTSD. I watched these Capitol cops cry and whine and snivel, you know, because somebody called them bad words and somebody spit at them and they wanted PTSD pensions. You know what? That was a part of your job. And compared to what I've seen the men and women in the NYPD do in the aftermath of September 11th and on a daily basis in police work in New York, don't talk to me about PTSD. I don't want to hear it.
0: Bernie Carrick, we appreciate it so much. And uh, if anybody has the time, check out his interview with the January 6th committee. It's absolutely fascinating. To be continued, sir, and we'll be right back. Folks, I have a book. It will be coming out on Tuesday. Justice for All, How the Left is Wrong About Law Enforcement. I'm very, very proud of it. You know, it's in reaction to a lot of things that has been going on in America. The hideous and dishonest Black Lives Matter movement, for one. I go into extraordinary detail about how this group came about, the political, sinister political underpinnings of it, how it was all designed to help Barack Obama. It's really an amazing story that has not been told. And it's also a defense of law enforcement, yeah. These guys are the good guys. It's amazing what's happened over the past couple of years, how they have been so demonized. You know, this is a a picture in the book that I really like. It's Officer Larry DiPrimo, who bought a pair of shoes for a homeless person. He did not know this picture was being taken. And um, I also talk about my father, my childhood a little bit. So, again, the book is available wherever books are sold. Uh, Starting on Tuesday, you can pre-order it on Amazon and Amazon. I think you'll enjoy it. And I think it's going to move the needle, especially when it comes to race. A very silly conversation about race in America to avoid an important one. And I hope you'll find this a helpful contribution. All right. Who heard about that crazy congressman on Long Island? The Republican George Santos, who's in big trouble for, they say, lying about his resume. And he admitted it. He said he graduated from Baruch College when he did not graduate from Baruch College. Sounds like somebody else we know in politics. What law school did you attend, and where did you place in that class? And the other question is, could you quickly... I think I I probably have a much higher IQ than you do, I suspect. I went to law school on a full academic scholarship, the only one in my in my class uh, to have a full academic scholarship. In The first year in law school, I decided I didn't want to be in law school and ended up in the bottom two-thirds of my class and then decided I wanted to stay, went back to law school, and in fact ended up in the top half of my class. I won the international moot court competition. I was the outstanding student in the political science department at the end of my year. I graduated with three degrees from undergraduate school and 165 credits, only need 123 credits, and I'd be delighted to sit down and compare my IQ to yours if you'd like, Frank. Wow. Uh, He lied about 17 times more than this George Santos guy did on his resume. Uh, George Santos should not have done those things. We'll see what happens. And I've heard him defend himself. Uh, He could be in big trouble or who knows? He may have a long, successful career in Congress. The new Republican from Long Island who, yeah, definitely inflated his resume. We'll see what happens. But um, so far, he's no Joe Biden. And I mean that in a good way. I'll be right back. Thank you so much. We will see you tomorrow. Happy New Year.